1: Hello, hello, everybody, and welcome to the Forbes Factor. All right, so today we're going to focus on success. You know, there's somebody said once that success leaves clues. Well, that's true. If you are a successful person and you've got certain things that you follow every day, odds are that you're going to be wildly successful. Okay, so my guest today is the definition of success. What do I mean by that? When you listen to him talk, you're going to hear an energy, you're going to hear a passion, a power a commitment, all the things that truly determine somebody's success. So very often people will try to pitch me an idea or a service and they get on the phone or they're like, hi, oh my God, so the weather is terrible. And, I, and I'm like, you know what? I tune out immediately. Success leaves clues. People who get things done sound like they get things done. And I know you can hear it in my voice, right? People, oh, you have just great energy. I do because I love what I do. So I'm going to ask you to put on your amazing headphones or get close to your TV or your radio, whatever you're listening on. And invite a friend. This is going to be an amazing broadcast. Uh, My guest is a powerhouse on every level. So I'm actually not going to tell you anything about him. I'm just going to introduce him. Is Mr. Ed Milet there, my darling? Where are you?
2: I'm here, Forbes. How are you?
1: I am amazing. Now, where are you? I know you you are. (laughs) Where are you physically?
2: I am physically on my balcony in Laguna Beach looking at the ocean and talking to you.
1: See, now that is beautiful. How long have you been there?
2: How long have I been on the balcony how long have I been in Laguna Beach? <laughs>
1: You're going to get smart with me. I'm coming over and I'm going to smack you. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I've been in Laguna Beach. It was my dream place to live. So I used to walk this beach as a little kid. I married my, you, I think you know this, but I, I, my wife and I met in kindergarten. And so she's my high school sweetheart too. So we used to walk these beaches.
1: Wait, 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 wait. You married your kindergarten sweetheart?
2: Yeah, she grew up uh, two blocks down the street from me, too. Isn't that crazy? In California, of all places, which is such a huge area. Yeah.
1: That's a very precious story. How long have you guys been married?
2: 22 years. Holy smokes, 22 years.
1: And what do you think is the secret to a successful marriage?
2: Wow, I think she's hot. I think mean, she's super hot. Um, that's a big factor. People, Everyone gives you the generic answer, don't they? Well, we're best friends. We communicate well. Well, I communicate really well with a lot of buddies of mine, too. You know, I communicate really well with a lot of friends of mine. We have what you did in the intro. I love her energy. She loves my energy. We have compatible energy. We're both constantly, I'm pretty masculine male, and she's a pretty feminine female, so there's a good mix there, but we both understand that dynamic, too. Sometimes she's got to be more masculine, and I've got to... You know, drop down the testosterone a little bit too, but at the end of it,
1: wait, wait, wait! I, I noticed that you didn't. Wait, wait! I noticed that you didn't actually say be more feminine, did you? Uh, come on, I did come
2: not up. say that's hard for me to say, <laughs> 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 but, 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 that's that's so insightful. But, but it is true. I need. I. I've worked on that over our time, and what, see what's funny about those dynamics when people describe masculine and feminine energy. All the good stuff is always feminine energy. Right. And so everything they say the guy's too masculine. He doesn't listen. Well, that's too masculine. Right. Or, you know, always trying to solve problems. That's too masculine. Just listen. And so if you want to call that feminine energy, then, yeah, I've become better at listening and better at letting her uh, be heard. Right. And and that's important. But at the end of it, I think you've got to be attracted to your to your counterpart. I mean, someone just asked me that yesterday. Like, what's the key? I'm like, I think she's hot. And I, and I not only is she hot, but I'm constantly telling her she is, and so she feels sexier, right? That's important. It's, a, it's sort of like what you begin to describe about one another becomes the dynamic, and so I'm constantly telling her how hot she is, how beautiful she is, how sexy she is. And so as a consequence, she already is, but it, but she behaves in such a way. She feels sexier because I tell her that, and, and I think she is because I say it. It almost reinforces that dynamic. And not everything's, you know, obviously after... 20, you know, how long have we actually known each other? 40 years. Not everything can be physical, clearly, right? But in the absence of anything physical, you're a friend. You're roommates, right? And so in the absence of it at all, and a lot of people that are listening to this are nodding because they have roommates. And over time, people call that drifting apart or somebody strays or we grew the different directions. You, you lost your attraction for one another. So that's the hardest thing to do in a marriage as you age and get older and your bodies change and all those things change. You've got to work extra. The friendship part, I think, gets easier. You've known each other longer. You have more of a bond, more shared experiences. All that part, so actually, t- I think can become easier. The truth is entire- what nobody talks about is how do you stay physically attracted to each other? How do you want to still touch each other, right? Do how do you connect? Because us. once that's gone, now you're roommates and you're in the danger zone.
1: We could do an entire show on this, and I will give you a little bit of my perspective because that's interesting. I say the word sexy to people all the time, and some of my women friends found that offensive at some point. And I said, ladies, it's how you define it. I -hmm. redefined everything. I told you the other day how I redefined the word no to being never-ending opportunity. Well, I define the word sexy to being the acronym seeing excellence in yourself. Mm. So what you're talking about is, yes, we're going to get older. Yes, our bodies are not going to be ideal perfect. But if you as the individual in the relationship, forgetting being the other person, don't look in the mirror and say to yourself, I'm doing it, I'm, I'm, I'm living as healthy and sexy and fun as I can be, how would you expect your partner to look at you in that way? I always find Gosh, that kind of confusing. Forbes.
2: Can I just say something on that? Because. You know, you and I connected the other day. Forbes was on my program the day and when we were done, I'm just like, this is such a beautiful soul. Like, And it is your energy. Obviously, you're also beautiful. But can I say something? Because I just, I just did another program, and I didn't even mean this to come out of me, but I want to say especially to the, to the female listeners, right? Because there is all this stuff about what beauty is and what it's supposed to look like. And if you don't fit this thing, maybe you're not that. And I think there's more people need to know, because this is the sexiest thing in the world is when you know this, what I'm about to tell you. You're enough, especially the ladies who do that. You're enough. You're as beautiful and as special and as smart and as articulate as you possibly could be. You show up here enough. And a lot of times the men in our lives, or even men the other way with women, but a lot of times men do this with the ladies they have. They don't make them feel like enough. They don't accept them as they are. And so how is it that a woman can feel sexy and beautiful when she never feels like she's enough? And so for the men and the room, for you to show up as a strong male, for you to show up as your best version of you as a female, you've got to know you're enough. If you believe in faith like I do, you were made in the image of likeness of your God. you show up beautifully. And if the more you know that of you, you're enough. You are enough. The more you know that and experience in every area of our lives, we show up stronger we're sexier, we're more attractive, we're more magnetic, we put off better energy, as you said in the introduction here. It's knowing you're enough. That doesn't mean, by the way, and I'll come up for air, that doesn't mean we're not chasing the next version of us. That doesn't mean we're not constantly and never-ending improving. But it's going to come from a foundation that in this moment, everything I need is within me. I'm enough right now. That does not mean that I don't want to chase the next version. I, I talk about living blissfully dissatisfied, you can live in bliss and still be dissatisfied, still be hungry for the next version of you. You bite into a great steak if you eat meat. It's beautifully blissful, isn't it? Just because you're enjoying that bite doesn't mean you're not hungry for the next one. And so you can enjoy and show up present now and still be desirous of the next version of you. So I think that's sexy, knowing you're enough. No matter what you look like or your shape is, that's, that's inconsequential. Sexiness, attractiveness is energy, as you said in the intro.
1: Damn, I think you're sexy. Oh my god, you know Ed and, <laughs> Ed and I have not physically met, and I'm I'm nervous. I'm nervous for both of our counterparts because there's liable to be electricity and sparks that look like New Year's Eve over Australia. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> That's we are brother. When I'll tell you, this is why I brought you to my audience. I've been doing the show for a very, very long time, and we call Forbes Factor this combination of health, wealth, and happiness. And I've never met a man that was quite like Ed. Because the whole enough speech that you just did is actually like my speech. I have a whole enough concept that I do. And I've never heard a man, especially one that looks like you. You know, I urge you to go to Ed Milet, M-Y-L-E-T-T dot com. This guy is buff. He is a rock star. He's physically, you know, probably people say kind of bulldog. It's like, you're like, you know, solid. And... (laughs) But he's got, you have truly a sensitivity, and I'm going to totally quote, you're blissfully dissatisfied. I love, love, love that.
2: (laughs) It's yours. You can have it.
1: (laughs) Well, we can share it. Now, for those of you listening live, and I know many of my listeners do, Ed and I are going to be on stage in the Mandalay Bay on February 22nd, 23rd, and 24th at this huge rock star event, 10Xing it with us and Flo Rida and Grant Cardone. Um, What are you looking forward to at that event? There's going to be 8,500 people in that audience listening to us.
2: Wow. Um, First, let me say this to you about the event. And I told you this the other day, and I'm not saying this. I I, I probably told, what I'm about to tell you, maybe 25, 30 people in the last two days. I mean this. I don't think I've ever heard a better communicator in my life than you. And that's a bold statement, but I've watched your stuff. We've talked because of the multiple venues in which you show up strong when you communicate. And so, honestly, one of the things I'm most looking forward to is the room's reaction to you, particularly Mm. the women, because there are not enough women in this space that people look to as role models. And not only, I I don't care if you were a man or a woman, Forbes, you're probably the best communicator I've ever seen. All the different venues, from being on stage as an actress, to pitching, to speaking in small groups, to one-on-one like this, so, that is really something I'm looking forward to. But also, for me, it's all the networking that's going to take place there. It's all the different ideas. I'm big into the collective mind. I'm big into that Napoleon Hill theory of the mastermind that you put two people in a room and their collective mind is better than one of them, right? I believe in that. And so, with this, being able to have, you know, I don't know what it is, 80 some odd of the best communicators, best business people on the planet, all in one room, plus all of the beautiful minds of the entrepreneurs that are attending, there's going to be an energy and a power, especially spread out over three or four days, that I just feel like I'll leave there transformed. I go into meetings like this with an outcome. I never just go to attend things. I can't, even when I put on my own conferences, I always tell people, do not show up here to attend. Don't show up to this conference call to attend. Don't show up to this uh, radio program to attend. Show up to participate with an outcome that when this is over, I expect to get X out of this. And the cool thing about the 10X, as I'll finish, is whatever your outcome is, you're going in there to look for a new inspiration, a new key, a new tool, a new way to communicate, a new uh, referral, a colleague, uh, some networks, whatever it might be, a new idea, right, a uh, financing, whatever it might be. If you come in there with a very clear outcome, there's too many powerful people over four days for you not to leave there with it. But if you go in there to watch and spectate and hope and, you know, sort of, oh, I wonder what will come out of this, you may not get enough out of it. So anything like that, I go in with a clear outcome. And for me, I'm very clear. I want to leave there transformed. I want to go to the next version of me when I leave that room. And I'm not going to be in a room like that again this year, so I'm taking full advantage
1: Mm, I love it. I mean, you know what? We've got 30 seconds to a break. We are live. If you're listening to the Forbes Factor right now, we've got Ed Milet, whose energy alone is blowing up our phone lines, just so you know. And what I want you to do right now is don't go away. When we come back, you know, when you listen to him, you go, wow, he must have had it all. Maybe a silver spoon in his mouth or some, uh, you know, grace of God, somebody, you know, put a little fairy dust on his head. I use the word fairy very lightly. Uh, (laughs) But we're going to hear how this man made it himself. So if you want to hear some secrets, tips, and tricks that you can be wildly successful, you're not going to want to miss this. You're listening to Forbes Factor. Don't go away.
0: Listening to the Forbes Factor. To call in with a question or comment, please call 1 866 472 5795. That's 1 866 472 5795. Or send an email to Forbes at ForbesRiley.com. Now back to the show. Here's Forbes Riley.
1: What if I told you that there was a recipe, right? So if you wanna make a chocolate cake, you go to the very, very best chocolate cake maker, you get the recipe, and then what do you do? Well, like most people, you go, well, maybe I could put in whatever sugar I wanted or whatever flour I wanted, whatever milk I wanted, and when you got the finished product and it didn't taste as wonderful as the recipe I'd shared with you, you go, well, there's something wrong here. Let me tell you something, if I gave you a recipe for success and told you just to follow it and guarantee the outcome because that's how it works, my guest today is one of those bakers He's got an imagination and a skill set that you want to listen to. And we're going to come up with a couple of tips, actionable tips that you can follow to really become that successful. Are you ready? Ed, are you still with us?
2: I am still with you.
1: All right. So number one, do you have to come from wildly successful family to be successful?
2: Uh, I sure hope not because I don't come from one. No, absolutely not. My uh I come from an interesting place, though. It's, my wife and I were just talking about this the other day. I think that there's a, there's some advantages to coming from a wealthy family, right? You get access and all those kinds of things, and you probably learn how to model success. But the downside is is that oftentimes you don't have to work quite as hard. Maybe you lose a little of that edginess that you know that you and I have both have because we didn't grow up with money, right? And then I think when you grow up poor, there's all kinds of disadvantages to that. Clearly, but one great part about it is you know it's what you don't want. I grew up lower middle class, which is a tough place to come from. All of them are tough, but I grew up lower middle class. And so, you know, always we talk about the good is the enemy of great. And so I grew up where everything was just kind of okay, but constantly stressful. You know what I mean? And if you're not careful, you start to think that that's how life is supposed to be, right? You start to think that's normal. That's sort of what existence on earth is all about. And that's why it's a difficult place to come from. So for me, I had to really learn to dream, really learn. That's why I like walking these beaches with Christiana, my wife, when we were kids. I'd, you know, I would walk and say, babe, sometime we're going to live there. Someday we're going to live there. She would just look at me like I was crazy because of where we grew up, right? And, and the thing about where I grew up, probably like many of your listeners, no one even ever talked about that stuff. Like, my family, we never went on a vacation when I was a kid. Like, people go, well, we, I never went on a vacation. I never went to Hawaii. But yet, there was always food on the table. Do you know what I mean? So, it was one of those, like, it just, you just sort of existed. You know, you worked all week, then you watched TV on the weekend, and then you kind of did it again. And that was sort of my family growing up. So, even thinking about success or happiness or more peace or wealth was never discussed in my family. And if it was discussed, it was almost like, probably those people got what they got through some ill-gotten means, you know, probably isn't, they're probably not as generous as they could be or as good as they could be. So I come from the middle. So definitely you do not have to grow up wealthy to be successful for sure.
1: But what you just mentioned is all of the things that happen mentally because of where you grow up. When you're at a certain level, you tend to look at people who have more and say those things that you exactly said, oh, they must have gotten it or they're not very generous or money ruins people. They're probably horrible. And the other thing people in a certain class never get asked is what they really want. They're so busy doing that no one says, hey, what do you want? And I'm so surprised when I do this on stage and I'll bring up somebody, uh, a woman the other day who, you know, drives a bus, lower, middle, you know, low middle income. And when I asked her, she had a hard time answering because no one had ever asked her. She was so busy just doing and being and struggling. Yeah. So let's create this recipe. So Ed doesn't come from a whole lot, found a girl that he likes. What did you dream of being when you were younger?
2: Uh, I was going to be a baseball player. So I was uh, was, a, was an undersized but really hardworking athlete. And so my whole life, everybody told me I was going to be a professional baseball player. Everybody I talked to told me I was going to be a professional baseball player. I thought I was. I never even considered really doing anything else, ever. And, and so I went on, I played in high school on a uh, uh, national championship team and my high school team, several people on my team played professional baseball from high school, believe it or not. And then I went to play Division One college baseball. Then I got a chance to play a little bit professionally afterwards, but I just wasn't good enough. I just wasn't quite world-class in that sport. I had some injuries, which everybody talks about. And so that's what I thought I was going to be. And, and there's a lesson in that, too, just very quickly. My first dream ended. And that is a turning point in most people's lives. That dream could be a marriage you were in that ended or a business you were in that ended, or any venture. You were going to get your master's and it ended, right? Mine was my sport. It could be acting. It could be anything. And so there's that time. Everybody can relate to that. Your first big dream or your next big dream ended. And then the question then becomes, how do you pick yourself up and still believe just as much or more in the next dream? Because you have no experience at success. You've already failed a few times. You've already invested what you think is everything you've had in another dream that didn't work out. Where do you find the reservoirs of belief, of faith, of strength, right, in order to achieve the next one? Because that's, you know, in people's minds think, well, I have this pattern now of not achieving them. And so everybody can relate to that. And so that's what I was going to be. I was going to be a baseball player for sure.
1: Okay, so it ends. So where, what was the reservoir for you? Where did you find it?
2: Okay, so for me, and, but there's a long story about oh, I was broke and living at my parents' house on their couch. Everybody's real story is a whole lot uglier than the after. I'd, one of the downsides of getting wealthy or being successful is oftentimes when we're on stage, everybody sees the after. Like if it's a weight loss ad, right, it's Like it's always the after. The, the power of those weight loss ads is the before comparison, the contrast with the after, right? So I had a whole journey where I was broke and depressed and struggling and insecure and all that other stuff. But the reservoirs came from a couple different places. I'll give you two. Number one was me getting a mentor in my life, someone else who believed in me, who would coach me, who would whisper positive words in my ear, tell me I was special, tell me I could do good things. Having someone else who believed in me, right? That was huge for me, huge for me. because These people have appeared in my life when I needed them, but they didn't really appear. They, they ended up with me because I was looking for them. I'm seeking them out, someone to believe in me, someone to coach me, someone to mentor me. So that was number one. And then number two, I found out about me. I'm a wandering, like you said with the lady on the stage. We all can relate to that. I was a wandering generality, meaning do you wanna, what do you want? Oh, I want to be successful, or I want to be in shape, or I want to be financially independent with no specificity. I want to be in shape means absolutely nothing. Your brain cannot process a vanilla generic file exactly what's the body weight, exactly the body fat, specifically when. I want to be financially dependent. What the hell does that mean?
1: Yeah, no that yeah me. brother, you go, you go. I'm loving you right, right now. Right.
2: Like what's the exact amount of money, right? The exact date you're going to have it. So what happened was I went from being a very uh, wandering generality type guy, like I want this, I want that too, I must have this specifically. And the more I could get specific, the more my brain could go to work on processing that and helping me get it. And the more I could also enlist my faith in it, because I was now getting clear about what I want, right? Well, you know this. Complexity is always the enemy of execution, right? But lack of specificity is a huge enemy in most people's lives. They're just generic. It's just vanilla. It's just non-specific. But when I ask elite performers, if I, I just had Tony Robbins on my program. And I asked Tony, I said, at the end of the show, off the cuff, what do you want, right? Like, what's the next five years look like for you? He went boom, 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 specifically. And this is a mega achiever, right? Like exactly what he wanted, exactly what he wanted. I was so impressed. And every guest I've had on that's an achiever, it's reflexive. It's on the tip of their tongue, and they know exactly what it is. So those were the two changes for me. I got a mentor who believed in me, and I finally started to get clear about it. And then the rapper was why, the driving force of why I wanted these things, right? And why? I don't know what my why is. Why is always two things. It's really simple. If I could find my why, because why is the energy? Why is the life force? Why is the thing that gets you up when you get knocked down? Everyone could have a picture of what they want. You better know why you're doing it. And why is always two things that will help you get your why. Why is either your dreams or other people. That's always the why. You can define it all the time. It's dreams, your dream about feeling a certain way, achieving a certain living in a certain place, whatever it is, or other people. Those are always the whys. And so when you ask yourself, what's my reason? It's a dream. It's a feeling you want to have. It's a dream you've got. Or it's another person you're doing it for. Those are usually the driving forces.
1: I, I completely agree. I love it. Um, you know, one of my biggest whys and I tell people is the FU school of business. You can fill in the blank about what that means. But when someone tells you you can't, for me, that seems to be one of my biggest drivers, to prove somebody wrong. <laughs> I have to tell you, there's a, lot of, um, there's a lot of satisfaction. Maybe that's the feeling that you get when you know that you are, in fact, uh, as as good as you believe, but better than someone else even dared to dream.
2: Were you always that way, or did you learn that? I'm just curious.
1: Uh, I you know that's funny that you say that. I, I think I was always that way because inside of me, I knew I always had a whole lot more than anyone gave me credit for. And in fact, you said a word the other day that's resonated with me. And maybe people don't take their lives quite as seriously as, as you and I do. But I've always had this need and this this ability to go, wow. I just I think I'm somebody special, which is a little bold and conceited where I grew up. The people, oh, she's conceited. But I just, I had th- this moment, you know, that if, if you put me down, that I was going to prove you wrong. Somebody said to me in the early days, well, you're not world class. And I thought, "Whoa." now this isn't a day when I didn't really understand what that meant. I'm like, what does that mean? And when you said that word to me two days ago and described me, I was actually in tears because I think part of my life, the why has been I'm going to prove to myself and the rest of the world, what does it mean that Forbes Riley is world class? Now, I did a lot. By the way, it takes a lot. And I want some more specifics from you. One of the things I did when I graduated, we grew up with no money, so I didn't know what it meant. I got a job as a social secretary in Manhattan for a family, won't say who they are, but huge. I lived in their 15-room apartment. And we were in the car one day, and the the missus says to me, she said, you need to get Louis Vuitton out of the trunk. And I said to her, who's in the trunk? And she said to me, you'll learn. And I said, you know what? I will. I grew up in a house where my mom put plastic on the couches, We always had, you know, a $1 t-shirts, never a $10 t-shirt, God forbid, a $100 t-shirt. And I said, I'm going to go figure out where people and how they live, how to model, like our Tony says, people that I don't even understand exist. Mm -hmm. And I did, and I've been on this mission ever since. And I love this concept of what does it mean? And when you said world-class men, I just want to be the very best. I firmly believe that there are very few women. I don't see myself as a man or a woman. I just see myself. Sure. See the level of confidence, of understanding, the ability to give back. When I listen to you, I'm on fire. Look, I've got a minute and a half before I go to my next commercial. Okay. I, I love the generalities, but I want to hear. So, little Ed. So, Ed says I'm going to be a baseball player. Doesn't work out. Somehow, yep. you figured it out that that was not what going to happen, but you did something else.
2: Give yep. me. Some I can attention. tell you what it was. You want to know real quick in that minute? Go. So, I'll tell you straightforwardly. The problem with this man right here was that I lacked self confidence. I was not a self-confident person. If you really made me be honest, I was not a self-confident person. So I ha- all these people I would meet, like you now, they're self-confident. I'm like, how do I develop self-confidence? So everyone listening to this once, I want to be more self-confident. Self-confidence is rooted in this. I finally got this, and it's changed my life the last 25 years. Self-confidence is not outside of you. It's inside of you. It's self-confidence comes from keeping promises that you make to yourself
1: Oh, self confidence
2: is a is a personal reputation with you, and the more and more you begin to keep the promises you make to yourself, whether it's the way you're going to eat, or when you get up in the morning, or amount of phone calls in business, the more you start keeping promises you make to you, the more you begin to self trust you, the more your self confidence goes through the roof, and here's what happens: you begin to build a reputation with yourself, and because the reputation with self is so strong, you're not concerned with your reputation with others. People that lack self-confidence are always worried about what everybody else thinks of them, and that's the symptom. The disease is they don't think highly enough of themselves, and the root cause of that is they don't have habits of keeping promises they make to themselves. Anybody listening is going to immediately shift the pattern of not having self confidence by simply starting to keep the promises you make to yourself your self confidence will grow and over time you realize my gosh my reputation's so great with me i'm not overly concerned with my, my reputation is with strangers in the world
1: okay, and that's ten, where
2: self confidence started to shift for me started keeping I those promises it. and here I we go i love
1: it i love it that's actually an amazing actionable thing guys we've got 10 seconds to my break i'm very confident that my sponsors love me so much they want me to stop talking for a moment so i will <laughs> give over the stage to them But I can't wait. You know, this conversation is going to be on for the next 10 years. You and I are going to keep having this because the world needs to hear this. Very few people are on fire. My only other one was Jack LaLanne, man. I got to tell you. I got to go. Don't go away. We're coming back with more and Ed and me. Bye.
3: Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America.
4: I'm busy and so is my family. Leftover pizza and unhealthy takeout isn't really doing it for us anymore. Just ask my bathroom scale. That all changed when I found Freshly. For less than $10 a meal, Freshly delivers six meals a week, always fresh, never frozen, prepared by top chefs and nutritionists using the best,
0: There's never been another product like the Forbes Riley Spin Gym. So try it risk-free for 30 days. Visit buyspingym.com today.
3: Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Find out about new shows, featured guests, and what's up this week. Find us on Facebook by searching keyword Voice America.
0: You are listening to The Forbes Factor. To call in with a question or comment, please call 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. Or send an email to Forbes at ForbesRiley.com. Now back to the show. Here's Forbes Riley.
1: All right, so I hope you guys are like inspired out of your mind. Ed, we only have a few more minutes together, so I want you to share with people some more specifics. Now I've got that. your why that you went from not being a confident guy. You've overcome obstacles. What do you, what do, you, what do, you do to make money, for real?
2: Uh, well, I have a financial services business. I'm the agency chairman of a company called World Financial Group, which is part of Transamerica. So I have had that business for many, many years. And then years and years ago, when I started to make money, I got into the real estate business. And so I, um, I do a, invest in a lot of multi-unit real estate and projects like that with a group that I'm a part of. So I do that. And then I have... You know, I'm in this personal development life strategy space, and most of the stuff I do I don't monetize because my other businesses have sort of made me wealthy. And so I try to do, whether it's my Instagrams or my Twitters or my website, that stuff, I I do the majority of that content for for no charge. But probably coming forward here soon, I'm going to do some mentoring groups and things like that where I'll monetize that a little bit just so that I know people attach value to, to what I'm producing. But financial services, my speaking, and real estate is where I've generated my wealth from.
1: What does money mean to
2: you? Money is a magnifier. And so, and this is something I had to get over too, money magnifies things. So if you're a really good person and you're generous and you're kind and you want to help other people and you've got a good heart, money magnifies that. On the other hand, if you're a curmudgeon or mean or abusive, um, condescending, arrogant, money magnifies that too. So for me, money magnifies things. But what it's allowed me to do is put my money and my mouth um, behind what I really believe in, and so, uh, you know that you know that you. Probably, I, I, my first career, I worked in a group home with orphaned and boys. My boys were all molested by family, or their parents were dead. And so, I started working with kids really young out of college when that first dream ended. And so, I do most of the work that I do with kids, um, and I don't just do a little of it. I spend an awful lot of my time working with kids. And, uh, and at-risk youth, too. So money's allowed me to do that, and it's allowed me to care for my family. It's allowed me to have choices. It's allowed me to have freedom. When someone in my family needs something, I'm the go-to person. I don't make decisions based on money. I remember the days of going to the ATM and praying $20 was in there so a bill would come out, right? I, my wife and I were talking the other night. My kids went to the movies without us for the first time. I got a 16-year-old and a 14-year-old. They went together to the movies. And I said, do you remember the cough, babe? And we started laughing because I remember having to sneak our own sodas into the movies, you know, because I couldn't. We'd have to cough when we'd open the can, so no one in the movie theater. And this was after we were married, right? So it gives me choice. It gives me freedom. It's um, it's a magnifier of every good part of my life. But for me. And this is easy. Rich people say this all the time. Well, wow, material things don't matter, right? Well, that's not even really true. They do matter. I've, I've driven a Camry, and I've driven a Ferrari. The Ferrari's better. I've been happy when I was poor. I've been happy rich. Happy rich is better. Trust me. Way better. Way, way. As, as much better as you think it is, it's that much better. But material things don't fulfill you. They do not. What fulfills you is service is people. I tell my kids all the time, people matter, things don't. That doesn't mean I don't want you to have things, but they don't matter people matter. And so that's what money's done for me. I'm sure you relate to that because you've made a lot of money too. You understand that.
1: Well, I do, but here's my question to you because I'm looking at my dad who's not with us anymore, but he never made a lot. I just gave a speech to a whole lot of people who, who don't have a lot, right? They just never figured it out. Their dads had worked for money, whatever they were doing, whether it's janitor to cook to waiter, they're living a very kind of hand to mouth kind of existence. Imagine you're there right now. If that were you right now, what would you be doing next?
2: Oh, what a great question. So, uh, so let me give you the corny part, then the specific part. The first thing is I would really ask myself, and I said this earlier, what is it that I really want? What do I want to produce? Who do I want to give for? What are my... You could even start with your reasons, right? Who would I do it for? For me, I want to feel a certain way. I want to contribute a certain way. I want to do it for this other person. Whatever it is, I'd get clear on that. And then always, people say, I don't know what my purpose is. It's a hard thing to find my purpose. Typically, the pathway to your purpose is found in your passions. So what are things you're passionate about? Is it children? Is it healing people? Is it is it uh, enlightening people? We said earlier, you said, uh, to me, the most rare person in someone's life, Forbes, is this. Earlier, you said, I almost cried when you told me that I was special. And for me, my gift in my life is I want to, for as many people as I can, be a leader. And to me, a leader is uh, not what you read in a book. A leader is what a mother does in a household or a good father, but always mothers. Mothers, what are they really? What makes a great mother? She loves, cares and believes in her children and she helps them. A good father should be doing that too. Well, a good leader in anything loves, cares and believes in people and helps them. And so, I consider myself a good leader, not because I have a deep voice and I'm a good speaker, But because I love, I care, and I believe in people deeply, and I want to help them. And that's probably what you want to, if you're listening to this. And so then you've got to ask yourself, what's my passion? How can I best do that? Because if you think about it for a second, Forbes, in our lives, if I said to the listeners, who's the person who knew you were special? Who's that person in your life that when you were a little boy or a little girl told you you were special? They knew you you were the special one, the unique one. They saw the real you. They knew you were enough. Who is that person? For most of us, if we're lucky in our lives, we have one or two of them. And if you pictured their face right now, who they were, whether it's your grandfather, your mother, an auntie, a coach, a teacher, somebody, if you pictured their face, you'd get emotional. And you're doing it right now as you picture them, because they were the one who knew. And in our lives, those people are so rare. If we're lucky, we have one or two of them. Well, what if you could spend your life being that person for other people? whether it's a server in a restaurant or someone in your business, what if I could spend my life being that person? When people close their eyes, I was one of those couple people they thought of. right? That's what I want to do in my life. And so what I would tell you is get clear on your passion. And your passion, you'll find your purpose. And then you've got to, in my opinion, just straight up last thing, you're not going to get wealthy if that's one of your goals working for somebody else. You've got to find a way to start a business on the side. I don't care what it is. Start to something that's yours, that you own that's your family's, that you build your legacy, something special to you. I don't care what it is. Get yours. Have your thing. In life, happy people find their thing. Their thing could be their singing, their dancing, their art, their giving, their charity work, their business, their workout, their fitness. But happy people find their thing. Find your thing. And then monetize it if you can, if it's a business.
1: Oh, I love it. That's my new quote today. My second quote from you is happiness. Happiness, people find their thing. That is happiness. You know, while we were talking, I got a text from a young woman. You just said something about giving it away and why I'm now so on fire to do what I'm doing. I believe that we all have this gift, but I harness this gift to sit with somebody, look at them, and maybe be the only one ever in their lives to see the thing that's special. So get this. She just wrote to me, she said, Hi, um uh Forbes. This has been a vision of mine for quite some time. One, having vision helps. I really want to serve the youth and the adults in my city. It's quite dear to my heart as my own adopted daughter once fell into this category. Your wisdom would be greatly appreciated. It would mean so much to me to serve with you. You really made a difference in me this weekend. The five minutes I had with you alone was life-changing. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. Mm, That's beautiful. I'm going to tell you that what she needed and what most people need is they don't have the mom or dad who love them. I found this out the hard way. You and I are pretty lucky. I had both of those, and they believed I was special. But even then, I spent my life trying to prove it to them until I woke up one day and said, hey, stop working on proving it. I called my dad from a seminar I went to, and I said, dad, I figured it out. I I spent my whole life trying to get you to love me and appreciate me. And he's like, well, you already have that. You've always had it. Now move along. And I'm like.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That sounds like my parents' Forbes. thing.
1: And so one of the things that you talk about, you and I are speaking on stages. we will be out there at Grand Cardone's 10X. You are going to start doing more classes. I'm doing more classes. By the way, I don't necessarily want to do classes. I have a very nice, quiet life. I'm quite the introvert. But it turns yeah. out that the world says you need to play a little bigger and shine on other people. Because if yeah, someone's yeah. going to write you, Ms. Forbes, and say, the five minutes I had with you alone was life-changing, then that's what I need to be doing. And I will tell you. You grab somebody's hand, you look in a waitress's eye, you give away something, you make them feel better about their day, then you've done something that matters. And you know, this phone call, this, phone, this radio, this interview with you, my God, has just been so enlightening for me because you reflected a part of my brain that I hadn't really talked to in a while. So I personally want to say thank you.
2: Thank you. Me too. You did that for me the other day.
1: Wow. All right. So I've got three more minutes. I'm going to lose you because you're off. What are you doing? You're going to do a podcast?
2: Um, uh, someone's coming to my home. They're here to interview me for their program.
1: Oh, sure. And, and who's better? <clears throat> okay. That's like being ditched on a date. No, I'm just kidding.
2: I, know, um, I, I told them you only get to come here after I'm done with the queen after I'm I done with it, Forbes. Right, so they wait till actually- you're done. Trust me. I love you.
1: Um, <laughs> favorite motto that you have?
2: Life is happening. Well, you said it the other day. It's amazing. It, it literally freaked out my wife when she heard this. Life is happening for me, not to me.
0: Mm, and I believe
2: that my baseball career ending at the time. And by the way, and here's what's interesting about life, too. We always see that in hindsight. The key to being happy is seeing it as it happens. In hindsight, we always go, that separation, that incident, that thing did serve me, did happen for me, was part of a greater plan, did put me on the right path, right? It's it's learning to not have to wait for hindsight in order to uncover that and revealing it to yourself in the present. So life is happening for me, not to me. And the events of my life are happening for me, not to me. I'll give you one quick example that's one of the hardest ones because you can take it to the extreme. My dad's got cancer right now. He's had five surgeries. He's been through radiation. He's going to start a new team. We've done alternative stuff. We've done everything. And you say that has got to be one of the most horrific things in life in order to have your father you know, possibly dying of cancer. And it is horrible. He's close to all his grandchildren. There's a ton that's not great about it. But for me to find blissful dissatisfaction, and for my father to, right, both of us, I've got to find the meaning in it that serves me. It's not the events of my life that dictate the the happiness level. It's the meaning I attach to them. And if I really do believe things are happening for me, not to me, then why is this happening? And I can just tell you, honestly, my dad and I are both kind of men's men. We're in a room together. We'd have times we wouldn't even talk, right? We both worry too much. We're both worried about things constantly that at the end of our lives aren't going to add up. My dad's a real serious guy. It's hard for him to say, I love you, right, or to give you a hug, right? He's one of those guys. And all of a sudden, because of this instance, my dad, all of a sudden, a lot more I love you's. I've got a lot more hugs. I watch him laugh more. I watch him be present when we're there as a family. I take my time with him preciously. I stop worrying about all the stupid things that don't matter, and I've watched it happen with him, too. I'm also grateful that I didn't lose him suddenly.
1: Hey everybody! We I don't want to end this story. We have got to go to a commercial break, and I want to I I don't want to let Ed go. So don't go away. You're listening to the Forbes Factor. I'm Forbes Riley, and uh, we'll be back in about 45 seconds. Don't go away. Hey, Ed got so passionate about talking about his story that we had to go to a commercial break. I'm going to bring him back. He's going to stay for just a couple more minutes. He is talking about that his father is fighting cancer. And I'm going to share a story because I lost both my parents to that. And I think I'm a little tired of the way that we view death because it doesn't seem to work for the living. So a gentleman, uh, a wonderful man named Chuck works for me. His dad is 91 years old, and he'd been suffering for a long time with a breathing thing. And he was lying in his you know, hospital bed, and they, they pretty much can predict you're going to die within a few days, if you, whatever it is. And I, I got a sense because he was in Washington that everyone was sitting around like waiting and feeling kind of maudlin. And I said, Ed, do, I said, uh, Chuck, do me a favor. Turn on his favorite song and start dancing. Literally, there's seven kids. Just dance and sing and play. And you know why? Because if you're the one dying and all you can see is really sad faces, you don't want to leave them. Why would you want to leave your family and friends crying? And mm-hmm. because what if there's something, I mean, they're going. And why wouldn't they want to look at these faces going, we love you, let's party. We're all going to die. And it, and that's the truth. Wouldn't you rather be surrounded by people you love who are happy? Um, I talk about the murder of Dexter. I this beautiful boy I raised for twelve years. He was shot in the back and left for dead on a sidewalk by himself. He didn't have a choice. There was nobody there for him. So if you get to stand for somebody that you love, make it a happy, wonderful occasion.
2: Wow, you're getting. I needed to hear that. So thank you for that.
1: Why? Well.
2: Uh, it helps contribute to what I was saying. It helps contribute to me knowing this is happening for me. And it's just, I think the more you can load yourself up with reasons in life to do anything, the better. And so I'm kind of big on that. Like I just look, like, I'm almost like a lawyer in anything I want. I'm almost like a lawyer litigating the case to myself. You know, the more and more I can load myself up with reasons, the more powerful I am. And the more I don't have reasons, it's almost like kryptonite. You know, these negative thoughts, these uh, these thoughts of, lack these thoughts of scarcity, thoughts of, um, you know, self-loathing, insecure thoughts, right? Weak thoughts. It's like kryptonite in your life. And so the more someone can change the way you think, and you just did. I mean, with my dad being sick, what I was saying, just to agree with you is there's so many hidden blessings for our family, because like you said, my father is going to pass away someday anyway, right? And so we're finding, right, if, and my dad said to me, he goes, you know, my dad went 10 years with Alzheimer's, and I watched him fade, and he said, so one of the blessings is it it may not be that with me. And then the reverse could be true. You could say, well, if someone had Alzheimer's, you're well, the blessing is at least they didn't know what was happening to them or they weren't in pain. So there's all kinds of ways that you can begin to understand that these things are happening for us. And so I just it's my overriding belief. I refuse to believe that that's not the case. And hindsight always tells me I'm right about that. And so I just choose to know it now it's It's not something I think, it's something I know, and so because I know it, I typically see the evidence of it constantly, because in our life, as you know, Forbes, and more and more that I get a little bit older and I'm pushing fifty now, I see this to be true, right? What we really, truly believe with certainty, we experience in our lives, it's revealed to us, we see it, it's just a fact, and so and that's why in our life, you know. That which you do not hate, you will eventually tolerate. Malcolm X said that. It's a powerful statement. It's like, there's got to be a point where you, you seek better for yourself. You know there's more for you. You're not going to tolerate your current conditions anymore. That you know you're worthy of it. You know you deserve it. And when you begin to know that, you begin to manifest it, produce it, see it in the people, places, things, and objects that would necessitate that being true. You begin to attract into your life. That is an absolute fact of life. And so that's why I'm applying that with the situation with my dad too. So
1: well I have tears streaming down my cheeks. I gotta tell you, listening to you has just touched my heart in such a big way. My mother in law is going through the same thing. She's in her mid eighties and she's had enough. She's in pain and she's gonna leave soon. And you know it's funny when I look at my parents who both I don't like that word passed away. I I don't like transition. I don't know what I like, but my parents left eighteen years ago and uh I remember thinking they'll never get sick. That's the good thing for me is that as much as I miss them and I miss them every day because I want them to see what's happening and I somehow believe they do is they're never going to suffer anymore. And that's really powerful.
2: Can you uh, imagine how proud your parents are of you seeing what you're becoming and what you've become? Can you imagine? It must be amazing for them to be seeing what their daughter has become and the people she's helping and the difference she's making in the world. You want to just feel that because it's amazing what they're watching their daughter do and who she's become. It's really beautiful.
1: Where did you come from, my friend? I'm just in love with you right now. I really am. Thank you so much. (laughs) I love you, Because what people don't realize is that no matter how successful you are or how it's going, there are down days. There are times when it's not so easy. And I will tell you, it is the quality with which you go through it and how you manifest, like you said, what happens for you. The last two days, I kind of hurt my back and I'm lying in bed going, oh, my God, I've got so many things to do and blah, 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 blah. And you're like, wait a second. You are better than this. Do not succumb. And when all else fails, give. And that's what you just did to all of us, man. You just gave us so much to think about. Uh, you certainly gave me that sense of belief that I am special. I can't, I can't hear that enough. And I am so excited about the end of February. For me, you said, what, you know?" I love begin with the end in mind. I am excited that for most of my life, I played small. I didn't, for whatever reason, it doesn't much matter. But I know that when you do, you don't reflect big enough. And I'm only imagining standing on stage in about 8,500 people. I talked to my mentor yesterday. My speaking mentor is a man named Joe Thiesman. Have you heard of him?
2: So of course. Football player. Yeah. I played golf with Joe before.
1: Joe is a brilliant, amazing speaker. I did a show with him many years ago. And once a week we talk. And I, he is the one that stood by me and said that I'm special and I can do this in speaking. And so wow. it's been such an honor and a blessing to enroll, get this you guys, a mentor, a mastermind, the five people closest to you, play bigger. These people, Ed is now one of my close five. I swear to God, you just, you like bumped out one of my best friends, dude. I don't, I'm just going to even listen to this recording over and over again. Because you, my friend, your voice, your energy makes me want to play bigger and that will change the world.
2: I'm so grateful for our new friendship, Forbes. I really am. I'm so grateful.
1: All right, I know you've got a, a crew waiting for you uh, Any final words that you Would like to impart on my audience They are sitting on the edge of their seat They're listening to every word that you say They know how deeply you've touched me They care about me What would you like to say to them?
2: Yeah, that you can do this That you can do this Someone needs to be telling you that you can Right, because you know, there's these forces of the world Even, even sometimes the things you want to do Like the people you want to do it for Are some of the very ones discouraging you Isn't that true? Sometimes I want to do this for my children. I want to do this for my parents. I want to do this for my spouse. And they're the very people oftentimes in our life who are discouraging us from doing it. And so I want to tell you, you can. You were put here for a reason. You are not a mistake. You are not a mistake. You are not a coincidence. You were born to do something great and special with your life. I promise you that in big ways and small ways. And the sooner you embrace that, the sooner you know that you can, the sooner you can get on to living your life and becoming the best possible version of you that you can possibly imagine. Because here's the end of a great life. Just think about the end of your life for a second since we've been talking about that. For me, I'm in a chase. I am chasing down the ultimate version of me. I'm chasing down this man I was destined to be that I could have been when I was born. At the end of my life, when I go see the Lord, I hope he says, well done, my good servant, right? But the other thing is, I think he's going to go, hey, Eddie. This is the guy I made you to be right here. Meet him. Shake hands with him. And when I meet that guy, I want to be best friends like I've known him a long time. The worst end of my life would be to meet the person I was capable of becoming, and we were total strangers. That's not happening to me, and it doesn't need to happen to you, because you can do this. You can meet the woman, the man you were born to be someday, if you'll start chasing them now. Every single day, work on being the better version of you, believing in you, getting those mentors, working on your self-confidence, right? Knowing life's happening for you all the time. Those things all stack up over a lifetime of you becoming the best version of you and meeting the woman you were born to be or the man you were born to be. That's what I would leave you with.
1: Well, I got to tell you, if I were a man and I needed to meet somebody, you would be me in a, in a man suit. Got to tell you.
2: <laughs> I, <am so laughs> I love you, Forbes. Have a great day, and uh, thank you for your audience for taking the time to listen to me.
1: Bye, uh, Ed. Give my, give my love to your wife and all your friends. Bye-bye, baby. Bye. All right, guys. You've been listening to Forbes Factor. I'm in tears. I don't know that's ever happened to me before on my own broadcast Uh but that was pretty powerful. The worst thing that could happen is to meet you, the you that you were meant to be, and you're so disappointed. So go out, make it special, give more, do more, be more, and remember that you heard some of that inspiration right here. Care of Forbes Riley on The Forbes Factor. God bless you.
0: Thank you for making The Forbes Factor an important part of your week. Be sure to join Forbes Riley again next Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and Noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. We'll see you again soon.